Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, joined as always for our weekly Penn State video by Seth Engel of the Daily Collegian and the Post-Gazette. Seth, how are you? Are you ready for Penn State Ohio State Week? Yeah, I mean, we are into the thick of it right now. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to going to Columbus on, we're leaving Friday morning, um, get there and uh, off to the races. Yeah, it is, it is the game of the year for Penn State so far. So much to talk about. I'm going to start with James Franklin's news conference on Tuesday, kind of an extension of his news conference last week um, when he was asked, you know, should Penn State be throwing it deep no matter what? Um, and, and that prompted a viral response to a reporter uh, where he basically said, no, we would never do that. And he's continuing to face these questions of Penn State's lack of explosiveness in his weekly news conference, especially in the passing game. Um, there's been some some metrics on social media this week showing that Penn State has one of the most conservative offenses in the country right now, Seth. And and on this past week, he James Franklin kind of defended that, saying, "Well, it's worked, and and we really like, for example, that Iowa uh, beating 31 nothing in the whiteout game is kind of a template of of the team that we want to be, and we don't think that we necessarily have to be, um, you know, throwing it deep." that 2016, 2017 type of offense that I think a lot of Penn State fans really want to see. But it, it seems to me that he, he's trying to forge a different identity for this group. Um, how did you interpret his his comments? And and what do you think of, of the argument that he is making that, you know, doesn't necessarily have to look like 2016 to work? Yeah, I mean, it is true that Penn State currently has one of the most um, – inefficient offenses at finding those big plays and, and executing them. Um, that is true. But what is also true is that Penn State leads the Big Ten in points per game, um, averaging over 40 points, which is pretty spectacular, and they've won their first six games of the year. But that being said, you know, why would you really want to change it up if it has worked? You know, we keep repeating every single week, oh, Penn State is, you know, it's 13 games now in a row dating back to last year. Penn State scored at least 30 points. Um, that's pretty impressive. I mean, if it, it's worked, whatever they've done. Um, another thing that I think was brought up and going back to those comments about the long ball and why don't you just throw it deep and, and take a shot? Um, Drew Aller has been given those options. I think that has been um, maybe a misunderstanding by, by a lot of people when asking why Penn State hasn't been great on those big play yardage. Um, Mike Yersich is calling plays for Drew Aller to, to throw it deep. Drew's just not finding those options. He's not finding open receivers. Um, so instead, he's taking these checkdowns, um, which we've seen a lot, which then in turn creates this, you know, play-by-play, -play, just chip away four or five yards down the field um, type of offense that, that we've seen Penn State through six games with. Um, so it's not that the option hasn't been there for Aller to throw it deep. It's that he hasn't seen, you know, maybe good enough looks where he feels confident to let it loose. Um, and I think the fact he hasn't thrown an interception kind of exemplifies that. Yeah, I kind of had two gut responses to those those comments last week, which was number one, you know, the 2016 Big Ten championship winning offense that Penn State had is is really an aberration, even in the in the context of these successful years since. Um, you know, th there were teams that just didn't respect Penn State's playmakers and tried to play a, a bit more aggressive, and Penn State consistently was able to burn them 
through that season. But then we had the same discourse in 2017 with, well, why aren't the deep deep balls there? You still have all these players that you were able to, you know, chuck these nukes downfield for. It's because defense has adjusted and said we're not going to we're not going to lose that way to Trace McSorley. We're not going to lose that way to Mike Gesicki. Um, and so teams adjusted, and I think that that that's that we've we're they've been chasing this ever since. And I think people need to lose the idea in their minds that that is what a, an efficient Penn State offense is somehow going to look like. I think. 2016 was a lot of unique circumstances. You're coming out of the sanctions. You have fewer, you know, true athletes on the, on the roster than you do now. Um, and, and so defense has played them with a little less respect than they do now. And I, and I think that's, that's something that kind of gets lost and, and that, you know, people want to see that, but you know what, between 2016 and 1994, Penn state fans wanted to see that 1994 offense get recreated and that never really happened. So uh, I would say that's, that's kind of my first gut reaction to the, um, you know, the, those comments. And number two, I don't know who on this on this roster, Seth, which of these receivers you you really think you can throw it up to and have them come down with the ball um, and that you, you really have that level of trust with quite yet. Um, you know, there's no there's no Chris Godwin on this team. There's no Allen Robinson on this team. Maybe some of these guys will develop into being those types of players, but today, right now, I don't think you can just chuck a ball up for grabs and, and trust your receivers to come down with it because th- that's not the way the personnel has – kind of demonstrated that, that it's, you know, set up to play right now. And that's why you see Drew Eller checking down a lot more is, is if they're not open and they're not going to make contested catches, that's kind of what you have to do. And, and I think he's done a good job of taking – it's one of the oldest cliches in football. He takes what the defense gives him, and at the end of the game, it's, it's you know, it still ends up being efficient. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what he – he literally said that um, when we talked to him yesterday or on Tuesday. Um, I'm taking what the defense gives me and, you know, he hasn't thrown an interception yet in his college career. I think it is interesting kind of what you're saying with the wide receivers. You know, there's no Chris Godwin. There's no Deshaun Hamilton. There's no Mike Kosicki. Um, You know, their tight ends are obviously, you know, pretty good with Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren, but they're not their play style. Yeah. Yeah, That's just not their play style, you know, so they kind of have to run their offense around what they have. They can't be something that they're not. That's what Franklin was saying on Tuesday. Um, you can't just be something you're not. You can't just throw it up if that's not your offensive ideology. If your ideology is we're going to run these five-yard plays, one after the other, run 12 plays downfield, um, you know, burn out the defense, but we're also going to score you know, 40 points a game and it's working, Like, why are you going to change that? That's how I think. I mean, I think that the run game, which, you know, I'm sure we'll get into down the road, is is probably more of a concern. Um, but, you know, that's their ideology as well. You know, they're also chipping away. Um, it's these grinded out plays on both the pass and run game that has made Penn State so successful. And I think Franklin is saying now ahead of the biggest game of maybe his career, why would I change something that's worked pretty efficiently? I think that's a good argument, Seth, but I also can understand the opposite argument is you're going into Ohio State. Can you keep doing this? I want to talk a little bit more about that on the other side of uh, this ad read. Just want to thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast, Voodoo Brewery and State College. Just in time for this change in weather, the crew at Voodoo Brewing in State College, located right off College Avenue at 201 Elmwood Street, has launched their new seasonally inspired line of cocktails, including the new favorite hot spiked apple cider. And that's not all. Beginning Friday, October 13th, 
The State College Pub will have the grand opening of its new kitchen. The kitchen is now owned and operated by Voodoo Brewing Company and will feature the elevated pub fare made famous at their other Voodoo locations. They will also continue to offer items like the lobster roll and crab cake sandwich that have become synonymous with the State College Pub. So make sure you get down there this week. Enjoy um, some of that new fare down at Voodoo Brewing. Um, Seth, uh, listen, I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down in, in terms of this is their identity and that that can be okay. I think a lot of people are, are going to argue the point of can you can you grind Ohio State down like you did Iowa? Can you possess the ball for like 45 minutes and and just overpower them and and kind of win that battle of wills against a team that's as talented as the Buckeyes? Um, I think some people would argue this is kind of a derivation of the the Matt Canada argument that the Steelers have been having for the past couple of weeks, where he said you know he there was so, there's been some dispute, but he said to CBS. We're not a team that's built to come from behind. We're not a team that's built to make these kinds of, of splash plays um, if we're down multiple possessions. I, I think a lot of Penn State fans fear that if you get punched in the mouth early at Ohio State in the horseshoe, that and you have to kind of claw back slowly, that that, that kind of is a game that this Penn State team has not shown that it's necessarily suited to win. What would you say to that argument that that they kind of seem a little one-dimensional, even if you like the idea of this is their identity and it has worked, can it continue to work against the teams they need to beat to get where they need to go? I think it can work because their defense is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, this is a team that's second in the nation in turnover margin and is giving up, what, eight points a game this year? I know Ohio State is going to be a much tougher opponent than anyone else Penn State's faced this year. But this defense is no joke. You know, if there's one defense that's going to slow down the Ohio State team, this is the same Ohio State team, uh, which only scored 17 points at over Notre Dame. You know, that gives Penn State an opportunity to run the offense the way that they want to and put points on the board at a slow pace. I, I know it's it's they're going to the horseshoe and, you know, it can be hard there. And sometimes, you know, you really have to be aggressive. Um and punch away, especially if Ohio State, you know, scores pretty early. Um, but you got to give this defense some credit. Um, you know, as as difficult an opponent as this is for Penn State, um, and Drew Aller especially, given that he's a first-year starter, you know, it's the same thing for Kyle McCord. And and I, we had this discussion, you know, at the beginning of the year, Kyle McCord is not Drew Aller. You know, I know he's improving and he's a young starter. Um but this Penn State defense is going to be the biggest test of his lifetime. And, and this is a defense that has, you know, racked up sacks, tackles for loss. They had seven sacks last week. I know it's UMass, but seven sacks, 14 tackles for loss last week. And also are a machine at turning the ball over. All whilst the offense does not turn the ball over. Drew Aller, like I said before, no interceptions this year. If they maintain that pace on both sides of the ball, you know, this is this is absolutely um, a game Penn State can win with with that same system. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's not as if we haven't seen Penn State beat Ohio State in these lower scoring games. Some of the the biggest wins, you know, it was twenty four twenty one in twenty sixteen. Um, you go back, to, I think it was was it thirteen to nine at the Horseshoe um, back in two thousand eight when you win the Big Ten title. Seventeen um, ten back at Beaver Stadium in two thousand five. Um, Penn State's shown an ability to win these low-scoring slugfest types of games with Ohio State, and I think, you know, we've kind of seen that when you get into more of those track meets, that Penn State is less suited 
has been less suited for that. So I think there's a, a good argument to be made that the template is there. Penn State can follow it. It's just not something we've seen them do a whole lot under the successful run um, under Franklin. And I think people want to people have taken the identity that kind of Penn State's forged as a higher scoring team, a little bit more dynamic offensively than it was in the Paterno years, and said, "Well, that's what you need. You need to do that at its best form to beat Ohio State." It seems like James Franklin's saying, "We've tried that, and and we've we're going to use the personnel that we have." So I think that's going to be interesting to see. I want to talk a little bit more about the defense in a minute. Do you think there's any degree to which, though, Seth, that, that he's sandbagging and and trying to set Ohio State up, being like, "Yeah, you know, we're just rock'em sock'em robots type of thing here. We're gonna we're gonna slow it down. We're not. We're gonna be the same team that we've been." Do you think that they have some things in their bags of tricks? To, to maybe, you know, not like turn it into a track meet, but you maybe you can get some explosive plays. Maybe you can get, um, you know, a, a long touchdown or two um, and, and then kind of build around that um, that more grindy type of offense after you've, you've landed a couple of haymakers. Oh, I guarantee you that those play calls are in the book. You know, they're there and they've been called. Like I said before, I just don't know if Drew Aller um, has seen – you know, the looks that he feels comfortable enough to throw it downfield. Um, you know, I'll also say if, if Ohio State is to, you know, get ahead, which is something that Penn State really hasn't had to deal with, you know, at all this year for the most part, um, that should create, you know, some more opportunities for that deep ball to be thrown um, for explosive plays when you're playing from behind. Um you know, this is going to be a big learning experience. But, I, I mean, I know that playbook is is bigger than just check downs and, and five-yard rushes. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely something in the bag of tricks. And, you know, considering how the game does play out, um, you know, we might see, you know, a different look Penn State. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see it, what happens there. Let's talk a little bit of defense, Seth. Um, I did a pro football focus mid-season grades recap of Penn State. That'll be posted on postgazette.com on Friday, so keep an eye out for that. One of the big takeaways for me in, in kind of going through the numbers is the very low number of snaps that this defense has faced um, and, and how not just the defense itself, I guess, that's probably the wrong way of putting it, but the pl individual players – very few of them have seen more than 200 snaps this season, whereas they're, you know, around the country, there's guys who've seen five, 600 snaps through six, seven games at this point in the season. Penn State's been very efficient, and that's why I think you've seen them not face a, a ton of, of um, snaps. But, but Seth, I think Ohio State's a different animal, and I think you have to be prepared for a game where you're going to be on the, the field for – 45, 50, 55 snaps if you're those first-team guys. Do you have any level of concern that maybe this defense just has not been tested enough for us to know what that identity is against teams um, that, that can test Penn State offensively? Yeah, I understand your argument with, with saying, okay, well, they haven't been on the field as much this year, um, so maybe that'll be a new experience for them. But I could also make the same argument that their legs are going to be fresher than Ohio State's because they haven't played as many snaps. Like these guys have re they have basically been playing scrimmages for the whole year, waiting up to this one real game that they're completely healthy for and completely fresh for. Um, so that's kind of my outlook on this. Um, and I know this all comes back to scheduling too. Like we've talked about, I think every week now, um, it all comes back to playing a weaker schedule. 
That's that's what it is. That's why Penn State's been so efficient um, for the most part through six games. Um, they haven't played anyone too spectacular. You know, they've had some tests. Iowa, West Virginia are relatively good programs. Um, but the defense has been able to rotate out because of that. You know, most of Penn State's players, their starters at least, haven't played in the fourth quarter very much this year. Um, and that especially goes for the defense, um, which rotated in 76. They played 76 players last week, Penn State. Um, so that means you're getting in your second string guys, your third string guys, your fourth string guys, all while resting your starters for this big game. So that's my outlook on it. Um, I do understand that, you know, the worry of, okay, maybe they didn't, maybe they're not prepared to play, you know, a whole four quarters of football. Um, but I, I think this Penn State defense has shown enough that they're, they're capable of, of handling the pressure. Yeah, I think I'm I'm less concerned with the st- stamina Seth. Excuse me, uh, stamina Seth. Excuse me, that's a that's a mouthful right there. I'm less concerned with the stamina. I think because we know this Penn State training staff does a really good job. It's a part of the reason that you don't have a whole lot of injuries. And I think you know doing what they've done and getting as many guys as they have in games is is ultimately good for program building. I think for me the bigger concern is have you been tested enough for us to really know what you are. Um, and, and, and have you shown as a first team unit um, enough to, to say that, yeah, this is the number one defense in the country and that's not just attributable to, to, the, um, to, to the, the, the level of opponent that you faced, that you really are as, as good as the numbers say you are. Um, I'm not saying Penn State's not. I just wonder if when I look at those snap counts, I say, have you been tested enough? I think that's where I am on that question. Mm-hmm. Um, Seth, one of the other things that I noticed when doing the pro football focus grades this week, uh, I did a big section on Nick Singleton and, and Katron Allen, and um, those guys are, are flat out just not as elusive as they were last season. The blocking, the run blocking actually grades a little bit better. Um, Singleton's numbers are down dramatically. Katron and Allen's are down a little bit and, and still relatively effective, but they're just not getting those yards after first contact. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're just – they're just not as explosive as they were. Is that a concern for you that it's not just – you can't just blame this as a blocking thing, that these guys do not seem to be playing as well? Or is it just a function of now defenses have had – just like we were talking about earlier, defenses have had a whole offseason to prepare mm-hmm. and say we're going to stop those two guys and make Penn State's receivers make the plays to beat us just like those defenses in, in 2017 said we're not going to let Penn State nuke us over the top anymore. Um, you know, we're going to make them work a little bit more underneath. Um, what do you think is going on with those two at, at this point in the season, especially considering the, the schedule and, and all of that? Yeah, I think to your point, you know, they the defenses have have kind of targeted the, the running backs this year. Um, I think that was, you know, that's what we talked about at the start of the year. Um, we were saying, you know, the key to this Penn State offense and the heart and soul when you have a first year starting quarterback and a questionable wide receiver core is going to be these two proven guys. It's the same thing defensive coordinators are talking about every single week. Um, so basically what we've seen every, every week is, is, you know, the box is stacked They're They put in safeties on the field um, and it's, you know, disrupting kind of Penn state's ability to, you know, run the ball and find these open holes that were really available last year when teams didn't know as much who they were. Um, What's what's kind of interesting about that and I, why it does concern me is that if you're a really good running back and you're a good team that knows how to run the football, 
you should be able to run the ball successfully sometimes even when the defense knows you're going to run the ball. That was, that was my question to Nick Singleton on, on Wednesday um, was how do you do that? You know, you see the boxes stacked. How can you just run the ball and, and still be successful and, you know, find a 20-yard rush, with, which, which Singleton and, and Allen have still been unable to do through six games? Um, you know, and his, his response to that was just to keep the pace. Um, you got to keep the pace and, you know, just dirty run after dirty run and eventually – Something's gonna break free. Um, at least that's that's what they believe. We haven't seen it yet. Franklin also believes that it's gonna come. Jay Wan Sider believes it's gonna come, but we have yet to see it. So um, maybe this will be the week. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's Ohio State. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a tricky one, but you know, it is a bit of a concern. Yeah, I, I, I kind of am of two minds there. I'm sure part of it's the defense. But again, you know, yards per carry after contact doesn't lie. I mean, it's before contact. Are you getting yards before contact? That's, you know, that's the easy part. It's when you get touched, and that's where they just haven't been as elusive. I want to talk specifically about Singleton in that regard. Um, so I've seen a few people online kind of suggesting he, he might be a little bit bigger and he just doesn't seem to have that same kind of burst. I've seen some holes this year, Seth, that I said – a year ago, I think he might have been through that that he has kind of missed. Do you think there's an element of that going on specifically with Singleton? Yeah, this is actually something Franklin talked about on Tuesday um, when when talking about you know the difference between lowering your shoulder or just kind of you know breaking off and, and making people miss. You know, Franklin said that there's been times this year where. You know, we've seen the open field and we just go and run the safety over anyway. Um, so that's a bit of a problem. And then I asked Singleton about that tonight. or I didn't ask him today, but uh, someone asked him today about kind of lowering the shoulder and being more physical. Um, and he was like, yeah, I want to let them know I'm here. I want to get them scared so they don't try to tackle me, which is all like cool. Like, I, I guess it's like a cool quote. Kind of sounds like Katrin Allen. Um but it pretty much contradicted, you know, the worry that Franklin had, um, or at least followed it up where these holes are there. These guys are just being a little too physical sometimes. Um, and I, and we've seen that, like you said, um, the holes have been there. They just haven't found them. Yeah. And I think that's what makes him special. And, and that's what's, you know, drawn the comparisons to, to Saquon Barkley and that home run hitting ability um, I, I think they do have to hit more of those plays when they present themselves. Um, and, and sometimes that doesn't involve physicality. It just involves um, the speed, the raw speed that, that you know, the Penn State recruits and Penn State wants to, to be able to make those plays. So we'll see how that works out moving forward. Got a few quick hits here for you, Seth, at the end. Um, number one, do you think we'll see Bo Prabula in any planned capacity? Backup quarterback, you might see him if, if he gets – if, if uh, Drew Aller gets hurt. But – I guess I'm asking more is, is this going to be a situation where they say, Hey, we're going to bring him in here for those lion packages that they had in 2016 um, with, with Tommy Stevens uh, just because we've seen that change of pace work at Ohio state in the past. It was more of a benching situation and it was a little more complicated. I forget which year it was when they went with Sean Clifford and Will Levis both played extensively against Ohio state, but Will Levis came in and, and there was a, a, a clear change of trajectory of that game. Penn state got a little bit of spark was able to keep, Ohio State's defense off balance a little bit. Um, do you think there might be a drive or two where Penn State says, hey, stop this after, um, you know, the Buckeyes have maybe prepared a little harder for Drew Aller? 
Yeah, I believe that was 2019, the game you're, you're referencing there with the the Chase Young defense. Maybe yeah. 20, yes. no, that was 2019, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we could. I mean, I think it's something that we have heard since the spring of, okay, this Bo Perbula guy isn't just your typical, you know, pro-style quarterback. He's able to do a lot of things, and I, I think that um, the coordinators believe he can he can open some stuff up. We haven't seen that yet. Um, I think maybe they've been saving whatever package they have with him for, you know, a game like this um, where you have to get creative um, and you have to use pretty much every weapon that you have in your repertoire. Um, and I think we could see some Bo Perbula sets. You know, it's unlikely that we see him play quarterback this game. Maybe we do um, unless they kind of break away and, and they feel comfortable enough in the fourth quarter. Like you said, Aller gets hurt. Um, but, you know, maybe some red zone packages. I mean, we've seen he can run the ball. I'm sure he can he, he can get open as well if they, you know, if they put him on the line of scrimmage. Um, so that could be something interesting to look for. Um, it's basically unknown, though. We know that it's on their mind. We just haven't seen it executed yet. Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting wrinkle to watch for. Um, Seth, what's your read on, on Comicord? We talked a little bit about him earlier in this in this episode. Do you see him as, as a successor to that great Ohio State quarterback legacy of JT Barrett, Dwayne Haskins, CJ Stroud, the types of guys that can go out and win games for the Buckeyes? The thing that has made them different, I think, than Ohio State over this last decade um, is is at the end of games they have the quarterbacks that have been able to make the plays and Penn State has not necessarily had those guys. Is Kyle McCord that guy or is he more in the mold of like a Tim Beckman from 07, more of a caretaker of this offense, can, can use the weapons around him but maybe is not the individual star that has made Ohio State go for the past decade? Yeah, I mean it seems like they've had a Heisman candidate at quarterback for yeah probably the past 10 years. Um, McCord hasn't really done that. You know, I think he's done a good job and, you know, he's a first year guy. So he's obviously still learning as is Drew Aller. Um, and I think he has improved over the past few weeks as well. If you'd kind of just look at their, you know, their offensive stats and watch, watch their tape. Um, but yeah, I know the, the vibe really isn't the same as some of like the guys they've had in the past, like CJ Stroud or Justin Fields. Um, and we talked about that at the beginning of the year was, you know, when was the last time Ohio State entered week one and they weren't completely 100% confident in their starting quarterback? Now, I think they have gained that confidence in him, but the question still remains. You know, I don't think the world is is confident in him. Um, like you said, the star player on this team is not their quarterback. It's their wide receiver, Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, you know, I think as much of a learning experience this will be for Drew Aller, um, I think McCord, it, it is another one. Um, another point I do want to make is an interesting little sidebar on this game is that Gabe Infante, who coached Harrison and McCord at St. Joe's Prep in Philly, is a defensive analyst on Penn State staff. So if there's one guy to kind of know their tendencies and how they and how they run, you know, it's going to be that guy. So I, I, I'm going to ask James about it tonight, um, you know, kind of how he can be used as, as, as a tool for um, preparing for them. Um, but that's just something to keep in note that they have that weapon on their staff. Yeah, I, I think that is a, a fun little subplot to watch. Um, Seth, uh, another quick thing to ask before we sign off here. 
Penn State is 12-0-1 against the spread now in the last 13 games. That's basically a full season for most teams. They haven't lost against the spread. Um, does that matter going into a game like this? Does the fact that Penn State consistently outperforms expectations um, of, of people who have a lot of money on, on getting their expectations right, um, th- does that mean something to you when you look at a line that says Penn State's a four-and-a-half-point underdog in this game? Um, it seems like it means a lot to the big bettors. I was working on our Post-Gazette betting guide. Um, there's a ton of money flowing on to Penn State right now um, and a lot of big money. They're, they're getting more money in the market than they are bets, which signals that the bigger bettors are the ones backing them. Um, do you care about that at all um, in, in terms of, of, you know, if it's one game and it's like a trend of three or four games, I think you and I both write it off. But across basically a whole season of play now, I, I think it is noteworthy. Oh, it's definitely, it's definitely noteworthy, and it's pretty cool um, that it's gone on for this long. You know, they haven't lost against the spread in 13 games is um, it, it's it's pretty phenomenal. Um, I, I think the cool thing about it is that they are exceeding expectations, um, which is always, you know, kind of what you want for your team, uh, where people hold you to a certain standard entering a game and you outperform that standard. That's exactly what you want. You know, it, it's 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 the dream of being the underdog every week but succeeding every single week and still not really um phasing anyone um this week it seems like you know kind of like you said people are starting to catch on to that you know that it's been 13 games now people are like oh really it's been 13 games we have to bet on penn state um but they're still the underdog so you know it's definitely something that that's that's pretty cool and interesting um four and a half point spread you know, we'll, we'll see about that. You know, Penn State could win this game. I think Ohio State's probably favored there simply because they're the home team. Um, you know, maybe they'd be, you know, a slight favorite if they were coming to Beaver Stadium. But I, I don't know. It's uh, it's cool to see. And, you know, they'll, they'll look to make it 14 straight um, on Saturday. All right, Seth, give us your pick. What, what, are you, what are you thinking for this game? Oh, boy. Uh I have not even thought about a score yet. I, I'm it's it's I've been thinking about all week, like I don't like I, I think I want to go 27 24 Penn State. I mean it just seems right and and I might alter that later on, but I think right off the top of my head, that's like the score that keeps popping up and I'm like that that's what I'm gonna go with here. 27 24 Penn State. I think they get it done. You know, I really do. I think the time is now. Um, this, this team has shown grit and they've shown the ability. And I just don't think this Ohio state team is as dominant as, as it's been in, in, in the past, you know, 10 years. So I'm going to go that 27, 24 Penn state. I'm going to go 21, 17 Penn state. I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past. I, I think the invincibility factor with Ohio state is gone. I think Penn state looks at them and sees a team that they can beat. Does that mean they will? You know, again, they're four-and-a-half-point underdogs. I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State lost. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't get it done. We've seen plenty of that in the James Franklin era. But it seems like the mentality is different. It seems like, you know, like you said, Ohio State is not the dominant force that it once was. It is Penn State's peer, and it's a question of whether you can finally beat a peer. And I think, you know, I think they will. I think you can't go this entire 14 playoff era, be as good as Penn State's been, and, and not get that bit, win in a big spot to put yourself in position. I'm not picking them to beat Michigan yet. I'm not saying, you know, I think there's too much to happen nationally for me to say, 
a one-loss Penn State team is definitely going to make the college football playoff. But I think they're finally going to give themselves a shot to go into that final weekend and say, we have a resume that belongs and, and make an argument that people can believe in. Um, and I, I think they will get that win this week. So we'll see how it goes, Seth. We're both on them. We've both been wrong before. We'll see We'll see if we, we get this one right. Um, thanks for stopping by. Looking forward to, to seeing you in Columbus this week. We've, Seth and I have never met in person, so I'm looking forward to getting to hang out a little bit, get to know you on a, like a real person level. Absolutely, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Seth, thank you. And just a reminder, everyone, stay tuned later in the week. We're going to have a lot more football talk, North Shore Drive with Christopher Carter. I'll have my Thursday show with Paul Zeiss. We'll talk a little bit more about Penn State. We'll also talk about Penn State – or, excuse me, Steelers-Rams. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you like this video if you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.